Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Res. I've met a few new people, so for the regulars, would you uh, welcome those uh, new visitors today with a round of applause? Uh, for those who are new uh, or who are looking for some information about Res, what's going on, we'd love to meet you at the back table there, Stan and Pam are there, and they can answer any questions you may have. Uh, as we transition, open your Bibles. We're going to continue in our study of Luke. We're wrapping up Luke 17 today. I hope you've read ahead. Because we've got a good one. Verse 20. We're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Starting in 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, we got a doozy this morning, huh? How many of you have read ahead? Yeah, good. Oh, man, look at that. That's awesome. Fantastic. Um, I want to show you something. Let me have that image, Crystal. You recognize this? What is that? It's the Dome of the Rock. And where does the Dome of the Rock sit? In Jerusalem, where? On the Temple Mount. On the Temple Mount. I, I look at this, and it, if, even if you're not a church or, or, or Bible person, you're not sure what to do with all this Jesus stuff, from a purely historical standpoint, it is fascinating that in the holy city of Jerusalem, this significant piece of real estate in redemptive history, on the very site where the Jewish temple once stood, there now resides an Islamic shrine. That's fascinating, is it not? I mean, I mean, you, you almost have to just pause and go, wow, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? I read an article this week that was published by NPR in 2014, and, and, and just a couple of things from that article. It, it mentions that though Israel regained control of the Temple Mount and East Jerusalem 
1967, when they took it back from Jordan in the Israeli-Arab War, um, the, the Israeli authorities decided to leave the Muslims in charge of the Temple Mount to avoid future bloodshed. And to this day, many rabbis will tell their followers to not go anywhere near the Temple Mount for fear that they might actually step on the very spot where the Holy of Holies once stood. The, the article mentions a survey that was recent at the time it was written that showed 56% of Jews, though Jews and Christians alike can visit the Temple Mount during designated hours, 56% of Jews think that prayer to Yahweh should be prohibited on the Temple Mount. That's, that's just fascinating, isn't it? This is where we are. This is the present reality, present reality of this significant piece of land and this significant spot in redemptive history. I think about the 400 years of prophetic silence leading up to the days of Jesus. It's basically the span of time between our Old and New Testaments. No words from God, no prophets, just some old dusty prophecies about a Messiah that would come one day and the hope that that Messiah would deliver Israel from Roman oppression and restore her to being a sovereign nation once again. And I imagine people in those days eating, drinking, raising children, working, going about their everyday lives, waiting. And then suddenly, light lightning flashes and lightens up the sky. It's sudden and it's undeniable. A wild-eyed prophet shows up out of nowhere. He's He's weird. He's, he's, he's dressed in camel's hair, and he eats locusts and, and wild honey, and, and he baptizes people, and he has this huge ministry, the size and scope. I'm talking about John the baptizer. The size and scope of his ministry, it gets very little ink in Scripture, but it was huge. People were flocking out to see. We haven't had a prophet in 400 years, and suddenly this guy is claiming to be the fulfillment of one of those old dusty prophecies. He claims to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh. And as massive of a following as John had, he doesn't point to himself. He points to this man, Jesus, from Nazareth of all places and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the one who ushered in the days of Jesus, the Son of Man. This Jesus, who we know to be the Christ, the Son of God, and his, his ministry included both the proclamation and the demonstration that the kingdom of God had come near. The kingdom of God was breaking in and making itself known in a fresh new way through this Jesus. And during those days of the Son of Man, Jesus, our Messiah, people were eating and drinking and raising children and working and going about their everyday lives. But then some begin to notice something extraordinary is happening with this guy. Something like the world had never seen before and some people responded appropriately. Luke chapter 16, verse 16. Some who witnessed those days responded this way. Jesus is speaking this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way in. People are striving, agonizing to enter through the narrow door into this kingdom. Some are responding appropriately to the breaking into the kingdom. Others did not respond appropriately. Luke chapter 12, verse 56, Jesus said this too. He looks at a crowd and says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. 
Some were not responding appropriately to the breaking in of the kingdom, but Jesus makes it clear. Part of our text today, and we read it last week, chapter 17, the last part of verse 20 and verse 21. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, diagnosed, evaluated, scrutinized based on your paradigm and your conventional thinking. They will not say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now that came via a question from the Pharisees. When is the kingdom coming, Jesus? That was his answer. It's already here. And then he turns to his disciples, to his disciples, verse 22, and he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, do not go out and follow them, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now, candidly, these are not easy words to decipher from Jesus. And we might be tempted to back up the dump truck of all that we have heard or think we might know about the second coming of Jesus, or if you've heard this term, the rapture of the church, the great catching away. We might be tempted to take all of that, back that dump truck up, and dump it into Jesus' words here. And here's what I want to tell you. That's not what we need to do. And there are multiple reasons why that's not what we need to do. But here's the first thing I want you to consider. First and foremost, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples, which means minimally these words are for their benefit. I'll try that again. These words are for their benefit, right? Otherwise, why say them to him? Jesus is talking to his disciples, we're going to benefit from these words too, but in the immediate context, this is for their benefit. And here's the other thing I would say. Jesus seems to be talking about things that are prophetically referring to things that would take place in their lifetime. All right? Now, just keep in mind, we're in a world where things just kind of meandered along for 400 years. People are eating, they're drinking, they're, they're raising their children, they're probably teaching their children about the, the glory days of old, like the, the, the days of deliverance and conquest under Moses, the, the days of, of, of dominance and prosperity under David and Solomon, and then all of a sudden John shows up, and then Jesus shows up, the kingdom is breaking in, some are responding, some are not responding, the question is posed to Jesus, when's it coming? He says, it's already here. And then he turns to his disciples and says, listen, here's something that you need to know. And he says this, the days are coming. What does he mean by that? He's talking about a span of time. A span of time. Days are coming. What days? Days when you, disciples, you are going to long to see the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. Clearly, what's that a reference to? It's the days when he will no longer be present with them physically in the way that he is right now. He's already predicted his death. He's going to do that again in chapter 18 with a lot more detail. But the Gospels are full of occasions where Jesus tells his disciples I'm not always going to be with you the way that I am now. In John chapter 16, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. I think that's what we've got here when Jesus says, the days are coming when you will long to see these days and you won't see them. So after Jesus ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, there were multiple false messiahs that came along claiming to be the Christ during the apostles' lifetime. People would say, he's there, or no, he's over here. And Jesus is warning them, saying, when you hear that kind of nonsense, don't pay a lick of attention to it. Instead, he says this, 
For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Singular. Now, when you hear Jesus talk about the Son of Man in his day, what do you think of? Second coming. Rapture. We're all going to get jerked out of here, right? Somebody's going to blow a trumpet. You know, we played a prank on a, a friend of mine when I was a kid one time. We were outside playing basketball, and, and he was kind of a nervous sort. He went inside to use the bathroom. Somebody had a trumpet. So you know what we did? Somebody went by the bathroom window, blew the trumpet. We, took, we stripped down to our undergarments, left our clothes on the driveway where we were playing basketball, This guy comes out and falls to his knees. Hear me, I'm not making fun of what some people typically think of when they think of the rapture of the church, but when we hear Jesus say this, that might be, we might be tempted to think that that's what he's focused on. I'm skeptical. I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to. Now, I'm going to make my case, but I'm more than happy to tell you this morning, there's some things I'm just not sure about here in Luke 17. But I don't think that's what he's focused on. I think he's talking about something that in terms of time is relatively close at hand for the disciples in this moment. I also think he's talking about something that's overarching in terms of redemptive history, But instead of us speculating about what Jesus might be saying, let's just consider what he's definitely saying. That sound like a good plan? What's he definitely saying? Here's what he says. Days are coming. Days, a span of time, when I won't be with you in the same way that I am right now. And he says, and before those days come, verse 25... But first, he, he's talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. I think that's connected to verse 22. Days are coming when I won't be with you in the same way that I am now. You got it? Days. Everybody say days. Days are coming. But then he says, then the day, everybody say day, the day of the Son of Man, whatever that means, is going to come after The days of the Son of Man. Here's what we got so far. There are days that lead up to the day. We can all agree on that, right? That's what he said. Whatever all that means, we've got days that lead up to the day. All right, Jesus, can you unpack that a little bit more? Verse 26. Just as it was, or this is what it's going to be like in the days, everybody say days, the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Days of Noah, day of Noah. Days of Lot, Day of Lot, days of the Son of Man, day of the Son of Man. You with me? Days are leading up to the day. So let's talk about the days of Noah. This is not the fairy tale story that many of us got in children's church. Okay? The Bible isn't explicit about how long it took Noah to build the ark. But you can, you can look at Genesis and you can look at the, the, the timestamps that are given us about the Noah, Noah's life. 
Most scholars would agree that it probably took him somewhere between 50 and 70 years to build the ark. Five to seven decades, okay? Can you imagine that time? Can you imagine Noah building this massive boat? How many of you have been to the ark encounter? Yeah, I haven't been yet, but I've heard it's unbelievable, right? Just the sheer size of that thing. And, and they followed the measurements that are given us in Scripture, apparently. It's a massive boat. Noah's building it for 50 to 70 years. And can you imagine people scoffing at him? Can you imagine them going, Noah, what are you doing? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm building a boat. Because a, a flood is coming, and it's going to cover the whole earth. Can you imagine how they responded? Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's be merry. And let's forget about this fool building a boat. Those were the days of Noah. But then came the day when the door to the ark was shut and it started to rain. And Every living thing, every man, every woman, every child, this is not a pretty story, every animal dies on the earth, except Noah and his family and the animals in that ark. Everybody perishes. And you can you imagine when the floodwaters started to recede and the dry land was exposed again that's now covered in a sea of bodies? The carnage after the flood must have been horrible. That was the day of Noah. What about the days of Lot? Sodom was a wild place. Talk about people eating and drinking and being merry. The kind of debauchery going on there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then, that was the days of Lot, when Lot and his family separated from Abraham and they moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were the days of Lot. But then, the day came. And this time when it rained, it didn't rain water, it rained fire and brimstone and consumed the whole city. Can you imagine the carnage? After the day of Lot, only Lot and his family escapes and his wife turns back on the way out of town and turns into a pillar of salt. This is not a pretty story. That was the day of Lot that was preceded by the days of Lot. God, listen, God is a consistent God. There's a pattern in redemptive history. It's a pattern of days, spans of time that lead up to, point to, a day of judgment. A day when some are saved, but also a day when there's a lot of carnage. And Jesus is saying, like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, so it will be on the days of the Son of Man. People are eating and drinking and being merry, and going about their everyday, ordinary lives, and the kingdom is breaking in, and many are missing it. We talked about this last week. Many are just missing it. They're not seeing it. But eventually, the days, you, you with me so far? The days of the Son of Man are going to lead to the day of the Son of Man, and when that day comes... You got the pattern so far? Days, day, span of time, judgment, carnage, a few are saved. Verse 31, on that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, 
in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they will say to him, where? And, and they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. When you look at this in context, this just simply doesn't sound like what we typically talk about when we talk about the rapture of the church or the second coming or however you have that mapped and categorized in your mind. It just doesn't sound like that because think about this. this he's talking to who? His disciples. And is this for their benefit? And who are disciples? They are believing ones, right? Believing ones that if this is about the rapture, why in the world would he tell them when the day comes... Run. If, if we're caught out of here, if they're caught out of here, Gabriel blows the trumpet and they're gone, why in the world do they need to run? Why flee? Why not look back? He's, it's literally what he says. Run to the mountain. Again, I'm not trying to speculate about what he might be saying. I'm focused on what he is definitely saying. And what he's saying to them is when that day comes, Leave the grindstone. Get out of bed. Don't come down off the roof and try to gather your things. Run. Flee. Don't get caught up in the carnage. Because this day is a day of judgment. And that prompts his disciples. You know, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, it's already here. But when the disciples hear this, they say, not when, where, Lord? And he says, where the vultures are gathering around the carnage left behind. Aren't you glad you came to Resurrection Church this morning? <laughs> Like the carnage left behind in the day of Noah and the day of Lot, so too will it be on the day, whatever that day is, on the day of the Son of Man. Days that lead to the day, and the day includes judgment, salvation, and carnage. Is that fair? That's what we've got so far. Now, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, I don't normally like to step out of Luke, but this is important. We get a mirror account, if you will, of these, this exact interchange. The same teaching that Jesus is giving in Luke 17, I believe, is mirrored for us in Matthew 24. Almost the exact same thing, almost word for word. A little bit more detail, but almost the exact same thing. But here's what's interesting. Matthew records this at the beginning of his account of this interchange. Matthew 24, verse 1. This is the same setting, just with a little more detail about what's going on, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. My kids and I watched the episode of The Chosen, I think last night or the night before, where there was, obviously it was animated computer graphics of the temple in Jerusalem. And I think it was where they dramatized Jesus getting lost from his parents when they had gone up to Jerusalem, when he was a young boy, when they'd gone up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And there's this image that pans over the, over the temple that was on the Temple Mount, Solomon's temple that stood there. And when the camera panned up, my daughter went, wow. And I hit pause. And I said, that's the right response because that's exactly what we would all do if we saw that thing would be the eighth wonder of the world. It was unbelievable. And Jesus is coming out of the temple with his disciples, and his disciples are going, Jesus, look at this thing. This is unbelievable. And this is the epicenter of Jewish religious life. 
worship of Yahweh. Here's what Jesus says. But he answered them, you see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Wow. And then what follows, like I said, is almost a mirror image of what we're reading in Luke 17, except Matthew records these additional words from Jesus in verse 34 of Matthew 24. Jesus is, we know what he's talking about with them. Same thing as it was in the days of Noah, the days of Lot, so it will be. And he says this, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. We got to do something with that. In Jewish terms, typically speaking, this generation would refer to a literal 40-year period. Let's just ask the question. We're just trying to, we're not trying to speculate about what he might be saying. You know, as a Bible teacher, I'm not inclined to stand up here, read Jesus' words to you, and then say, you know, this is what he really meant. I want to take him at his word. Could Jesus be saying to his disciples, fellas, ladies, what I'm talking to you about right now, it's going to happen within the next 40 years. And you need to be ready. Could it be within the next 40 years? Candidly, I don't know. Can y'all handle that? I don't know for sure. But let's bring back up my picture of the Dome of the Rock. Something happened a long time ago. A siege occurred on Jerusalem. It began in A.D. 66, and it culminated in A.D. 70. And that's how we got here. Every stone was thrown down. Now, I want to read you. This is a, a commentary on the Gospel of Luke by R.C. Sproul. I know I mention him a lot. But he gives just such a, a really good synopsis of what happened in A.D. 70 that... These aren't my words, these are his, but it, it, it's, it's very concise, and I think it's helpful, and I just want us to consider this. So I'm going to read this to you. So I know it's harder to listen when I'm reading, but just put your listening ears on. This is history. When Rome attacked Judea in AD 66 under orders from Nero, he commanded his general Vespasian to capture Jerusalem. When the Roman armies came, they were like a juggernaut as they passed over the borders and destroyed everything in their path. In the, in the town of Jotapata, every inhabitant, every inhabitant was killed except one who went into hiding and was discovered later and taken captive by the Romans. His name was Josephus. You ever heard of him? One of the most important historians of antiquity. Vespasian recalled to Rome, was recalled to Rome to become emperor, and he turned over the reins of conquest to his son Titus to finish the job. Titus marched to Jerusalem with his troops in AD 69 and besieged the city for months while they camped on the Mount of Olives. Historians tell us that the Mount of Olives was so called because it was covered with gorgeous olive trees that were three or four hundred years old. The Roman soldiers chopped down every tree and used them for firewood. By the time the siege was over, there wasn't a single tree left standing on the Mount of Olives. When finally the attack came, the Romans beat down the walls of, of Jerusalem with their battering rams and used their other sophisticated methods of war. Listen to this. 
they entered Jerusalem and burned the temple to the ground. They killed 1.1 million Jews. Can you imagine the carnage? Do you, do you hear Jesus' words when his disciples say, Where, Lord, where the vultures are gathering around the bodies left behind? 1.1 million Jews and took another 100,000 captive. Two will be grinding at the stone. One will be taken, one left. Two will be sleeping in bed. One will be taken, one left. It was the end of the temple and the end of Jerusalem for a season. But listen to this. The Jews who survived fled to other nations and were scattered around the world. But the Christians didn't die in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them to flee to the mountains. Don't get your suitcases. Don't stay at the grinding mill. He said, if you stay too long, it'll be too late. You need to get up and not go to Jerusalem. In the ancient world, when an invading army came into people's lands, the standard procedure was for people to flee to protected walled cities like Jerusalem, which were mighty fortresses of defense. But Jesus defied that traditional method of escape from invasion. He told them to flee Jerusalem. Those who went to Jerusalem were killed. And Josephus, the historian, wrote that during that fateful hour, several people testified to seeing disturbances in the sky. They said they saw chariots in the air, in the sky, in the clouds, and they heard a voice coming from the sky saying, we are departing hence. Now here's Sproul's interpretation of that. He says, if that is true, God was saying to his people, in effect, we're leaving you didn't want me. You rejected my son. You caused him to suffer and die. You're on your own. Jesus was saying, when God says he's going to bring judgment, it may tarry. There will be days. It may tarry for so long that you don't go along with your, da you go along with your daily life, never giving it a second thought until it's too late. When the day comes, like lightning lights up the sky from one end to the other. Perhaps, in Luke 17, Jesus is talking, when he's talking about the day of the Son of Man, is talking about his final coming. Perhaps he is at the end of time. Perhaps he was referring to the crashing judgment on Israel that took place when the temple was destroyed and the city of Jerusalem by the Romans in A.D. 70. Maybe he's talking about both. I will say this. A.D. 70 is a date that is largely ignored by the contemporary church. But it is a date that is replete with significance, regardless of how you see it, significance and meaning for Christ and his church. When Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts, when he gave his great speech before he was stoned to death by the keepers of the temple, before the temple was destroyed, he said this. He said, Acts chapter 7, verse 48, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? Let's just consider the facts. The death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brought a decisive end to the temple order in the old age. And regardless of how you see it, A.D. 70 was an exclamation point on that reality. Now, th there's no doubt in my mind 
that these words from Jesus in their immediate context were for the benefit of the disciples, regardless of what he's talking about. But there's also no doubt in my mind that when A.D. 70 occurred, they remembered this. They heard this. And you know what? They obeyed. And they survived it. Probably the greatest tribulation that has ever occurred on the nation of Israel. The question now is, what do we do with this? <laughs> what, what do we do with these words? And, and, and how do we apply them to our lives? And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I have my eschatology all sorted out, like I know exactly what's going to happen. Jesus didn't know what, exactly when everything was going to happen. So I, I, I don't have all this sorted out, like what's going to happen at the end of time? Is there going to be a rapture, like where we're all suddenly jerked out of here? All I know is Jesus is coming back. And I don't know, like when it comes to biblical prophecy, specifically Luke 17 and Matthew 24, how much of it, if all of it or none of it, applies to AD 70 and what's already happened historically, or how much of it is pointing us towards the second coming of Christ and the future fulfillment. I don't have all that sorted out, but here's what I know Jesus said. There are days. This pattern has repeated throughout redemptive history. There are days that lead up to and point to the day. And when the day comes, it's sudden. It's like lightning. It lights up the sky from one end to the other. It's undeniable. And with that day comes judgment, salvation, and carnage. That's what I know he said. But here's what I can be confident this morning in telling you. Two things, really. We are in the last days. And by last days, I mean the days that were ushered in when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. When that event occurred, there were 120 in the upper room, there were sounds, there were ph visual phenomena, a crowd gathers, Jews and converts to Judaism from all over the known world were gathered in the holy city because it was the feast of Pentecost. And, and, and like I said, the temple was the epicenter of all of that. So they were all gathered there. And when they heard this sound, they gathered around that upper room and they were like, what's going on? And Peter comes out and he preaches his first sermon. And in that sermon... He quotes from the prophet Joel. I want to read it to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. I'll let you turn there if you got your Bible. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says, but this, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're observing, this is what was uttered. So Peter is interpreting the moment and connecting it with biblical prophecy. You get that? A lot like John would say, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Okay? Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day. You see that? The day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Days point to, lead up to the... And it shall come to pass in those days that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. You won't be caught up in the carnage on the great and magnificent day of the Lord. We're in the last days, the church age, the age that took over when the temple order came to an end, when Jesus, our high priest, died in our place, shed his blood, that we might be forgiven. And oh, what a great high priest he is. He went into the Holy of Holies that wasn't a type and shadow of the real Holy of Holies. He went before the throne room of God and said, here's my blood for my people. And the temple order comes to an end. The veil was torn in two. And then the Spirit is poured out. And the last days that we're in began. But there's coming the day, right? Just like it was in the days of Noah, then the day of Noah, the days of Lot, the day of Lot, the days of the Son of Man and the day of the Son of Man. However you sort that out, here's what I know. We're in the last days and the great and magnificent day of the Lord is coming. And in these last days, many are eating and drinking and being merry and raising children and going about their work and their jobs, their ordinary everyday lives, oblivious to the fact that the kingdom has come near. And they scoff, many of them. And they say, come on, let's just... Let's just have fun. Let's eat and drink and be merry. Let's forget about those fools who are all caught up in all that Jesus stuff. And when the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day that Joel prophesied about, there's going to be carnage. The vultures are going to gather. But for those who entered the narrow door, those who forced their way into the kingdom, like Jesus said, those who, like the one leper among the ten, who turned back, praising God, and fell on his face before this Jesus, when the great and magnificent day of the Lord comes, this is what's going to happen. I want to read this to you. This will be our benediction. But I want you to listen to these words. Let's stand together as I read them. We're in the last days. And when the great and magnificent day of the Lord comes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes and says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, like lightning flashes and lights up the sky, sudden, unexpected, undeniable. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. We're in the last days. But the day is coming, church. Every tear will be wiped away. Sickness will be no more. And our Lord won't come on a donkey this time. 
Praise be to his name. Oh, Lord, help us to live well in these last days. Jesus, I, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of you, and I'm in awe of your kingdom that has come near. Forgive us for watering down the gospel. Forgive us for making light of things that are very serious. May we realize that in these last days, we are a peculiar people. We don't live normal lives. We, yeah, we eat and drink and we're merry sometimes, but we, we don't do that void of an awareness that these last days are leading up to the day, the great and magnificent day of the Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that we, as we scatter from this place, that we would not live our lives as if the day is not coming. That we would, we would live with a sense of urgency, a sense of longing, a sense of awareness and soberness about the present reality of this world. May we also re- live with rejoicing and thanksgiving that you are our great high priest interceding for us before the throne room of God. So that when the day comes, we do not have to fear being caught up in the carnage. We will be changed. We will be with you. We will be like you. And death will be swallowed up in victory forever. We rejoice. We rejoice in our hope. We rejoice in the truth of your word. Now may we go and live as kingdom citizens. Let both proclamation and demonstration follow in our wake. And may your name be made great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.